What up? How, how's everyone? Welcome back, Dave. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, I came last week, but um, it feels good to be back because uh, we had a baby and um, he's six weeks old now and uh, my wife is with him at home, so, uh, so it's good to be uh, free for, <laughs> for a few hours. But I also miss them dearly, so sorry if you're listening. Uh, I miss you and I love you. Um, and, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, um, how's everyone going? Good, cool. Good week. Okay. Cool. Well, tonight uh, we are going to talk about a topic that um, uh, I hope is very challenging, uh, and I hope is very uh, uh, life-giving for me. Over the past like two years, this has been probably the thing that has changed my life the most. So I hope that uh, God will speak to each and every one of us tonight. Um, we're just going to look at five verses. That's it. Uh, and I'll manage to drag it out. So, um, but, uh, but before we do that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the time that we can spend together, Lord. We thank you for the fact that you say that you're here when we gather um, under your name and, and together. Um, so, Lord, we just pray that you would come. <clears throat> we pray that you would speak. We pray, Lord, that you would be active amongst us, Lord, and, and touch every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, before we dive into it, let me tell you a story. So, this guy called Bob Smith. Very generic name. Real, real guy, by the way. Not a, not a pseudonym. Uh, Bob Smith was born in 1879 <clears throat> to two very upstanding individuals in America. In, uh, I think it was uh, in New England, in America. His dad was a judge. Um, they, his parents were Christians. Uh, they were so devout that they attended four church services a week and dragged poor young Bob uh, to every single one of them. They weren't Egyptian? They, weren't, <laughs> no, they, were, they were white, white Americans, um, God-fearing Americans. And uh, uh, yeah, very, very, very uh, devout. And Bob, at the age of nine years old, uh, he, was, he was always a bit of a like wildfire. And at nine years old, him, him and his friends snuck out at night and they went to this, like, uh, I don't know, like a barn place or whatever. And they, they found a bottle of hard cider. And Bob was like, oh, my God, yes. And so he took a big drink and he got drunk and he loved it. He thought it was the best thing in the whole wide world. And then... Bob, he was an intelligent young man. He did really well at school, even though he never really tried that hard. He managed to get into medical school and, and university, uh, uh, an Ivy League school. Um, but as he got away from his parents' control and he started living his own life, he started to drink more and more and more. And he didn't think it was a big deal because his friends, when they would drink, they'd get hangovers and they'd be really affected. But him... He would wake up the next day, he'd be ready to go, he'd sit his exams, he'd, and he was doing well. But the problem grew, and he kept on trying to hide it. And it got so bad that he failed university, and then he had to transfer to another, and his dad had to fight for him to be accepted in another medical school. And then he almost failed that as well. He... he, he, he uh, Faced one exam where he was so uh, shaky from his uh, like binge drinking and, and his like withdrawals from alcohol that he literally couldn't hold his pen to do his exam. And then 
his principal, or the, the, the dean of the university said, we'll give you one more chance. You better act up. Because you see, alcoholism at this time uh, was viewed as a, as a moral problem. You're a weak, bad person if you, if you struggle with your addiction. So the principal, so the dean said, uh, we'll give you one more chance, uh, but you can't be, you have to be sober the whole time um, and uh, you have to pass everything with flying colours. And he did, managed to become a doctor. At the age of 30, it took him a long time to finish university. And then as he started work, he, 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 he was busy for a period of time, so he kind of like didn't have a chance really to get back into his addiction. But then uh, life started to get easy. He got married, uh, life started to get a little bit easier. And guess what was around in hospitals? Lots of alcoholic-based substances. And then prohibition hit in America. And guess who the only people were who were allowed to access alcohol? Doctors. And so he fell hard, fell hard. He was terrified that his alcohol would be taken away from him. So he drank and he drank because he was afraid that he would lose the ability to drink again. And he got so bad that he had to rely on other addictive substances to help calm his nerves so he could perform surgery and other procedures. And so he, this was his life for 40 years. This was his life until one day, broken and absolute devastation, he cried out to God. And then he went to church and his wife was desperate as well. His, he had two kids at this time and his kids saw the level of just how broken their dad was. And so his wife dragged him along to church and he cried out to God. But guess what? Still nothing. Until one day, in the meantime, what was going on? on a, in a different state of America, there's a guy called uh, uh, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson was a, uh, <clears throat> he was a, uh, what do you call it, a stockbroker or a, you know, a Wall Street guy. Um, and guess what happened at the same time or around the same time as the, um, the, the, the um, prohibition or right after prohibition, the Great Depression. Bill Wilson uh, was also an alcoholic and struggled for, the mo- for most of his life as well. And then he also was facing a downhill and especially his life hit him hard. He just went down and down and down. His marriage was on the rocks. His sanity was on the rocks. He was admitted to hospital multiple times for overdoses and for uh, delirium tremens, which is the withdrawal uh, syndrome of alcohol, which is a life-threatening thing that could cause brain damage. This guy was broken until one day a guy came to him who, who was his old drinking buddy and he found God and he said, I know the cure to alcoholism. You need to come to church with me. And Bill hated God. Bill thought God was a, was a fabrication, a lie. But Bill was desperate. Bill was absolutely desperate. So he went to church with this other guy and uh, uh, God met him. He, he, had, he had an encounter with Jesus and it changed his life. He gave his life to God. And uh, his doctor at the time, who had admitted him multiple times to have treatment for his alcoholism, um, he said, I can't explain what you went through, but you better hold on to it. And so Bill did, and he became sober. Five months into his sobriety, he happened to travel to the state that Bob Smith was in. And as he was there, 
he, he, he was really jonesing for a drink. He really wanted a drink. He was thinking about visiting the local bar and he was, he was afraid. He was afraid of the fact that this darkness was brewing inside him again and he didn't want to go back. It's terrifying. So he was like, I know what I'll do. I need to talk to another alcoholic. I need to talk to someone like me, someone who will understand and someone I can help and someone that can help me back. So what he did was he called up the local church and he said, is there any alcoholics that you know? And he was given the number of Bob Smith. And so he called Bob Smith and they met together. And uh, Bob Smith, that was the last day he drank. And these two men, they never drank again for the rest of their lives. And that, that was, I think, 20 or 30 years from when they met each other. That day that they met each other and that day that they became sober, or that Bob Smith became sober for the very first time, or probably not for the first time, but for the permanent time, that day is the day that Alcoholics Anonymous was founded. And it was founded by these two men. Hands up if you know what Alcoholics Anonymous is or AA. Okay, so this is the founding story. These guys, um, they founded in 1935. And they sat down together and they said, based off of their experience, based off of everything that God was doing in their life, they came up with the 12 steps to freedom, to recovery. These 12 steps are now used in every form of addiction therapy uh, under the sun. So gambling, uh, alcoholism, drugs, uh, sex, uh, every, every single form of addiction. And these are the 12 steps. I'm going to read it to you, okay? This... This is, this is something that is not in churches. This is something that is available to the broad public. You do not need to be a Christian to, to, to enter into one of these groups. These are the 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Number four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Number five, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Number six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Number seven, we humbly asked him to remove all our shortcomings. Number eight, we made a list of all the persons we harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, we made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, we continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. Number 11, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And number 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. This movement that started 87 years ago, um, it's now moved all across the world. It has over 2.1 million active users just for alcoholics alone. Um, and uh, it a Cochrane review, which is a, 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 a like a, a yeah systematic review kind of uh, um, 
journal kind of thing. Uh, they did a review of the 12-step program in comparison with other ways to treat addiction. They found a statistically significant improvement in people who undergo this, these steps compared to other methods of, of relapse, uh, uh, other methods of um, reform and, and uh, rehabilitation. Um, this, 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 what these guys started, what God led them through, what they revealed, is not new. It's not new. It's been in your Bibles for over 2,000 years. And we're going to look at it tonight. Um, and so this is the power um, of what... Uh, uh, Adriana, you're trying to share a link with me, apparently. Someone's trying to share it. I'll decline that. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so, yeah, it's not new. So let's open up and have a look at uh, literally the, the thing that changed two men who were addicted to something that was tearing their lives apart for over 40 years. Um, and just by practicing what we're about to read, which is these 12 steps, but, but in the Bible uh, spoken by God to us, um, this is how we are free. This is how God moves among us and does amazing things. So First John chapter 1, we're going to start from verse 5. Okay. So, verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So John, right off the bat, bat, starts by saying, hey, this message, it's not mine. It's from Jesus. This is what Jesus was all about. Okay? So, right, up, right off the bat, it's not John talking. It's Jesus. And this is the, the message that Jesus came to say. And what is it? What's the message? That God is light and in him, there's no darkness at all. John has a bit of an obsession with light. Uh, John chapter 1, uh, and Jesus, I am I'm the light of the world. Like he, he quotes the whole light thing a lot in relationship to Jesus. And, and obviously Jesus clearly used it in his life as well. Uh, I don't know about you. There are a million ways that you could describe Jesus, describe God. Um, and I find it interesting that he chooses to say he's light um, and that there's no darkness. Like, what does, that, what, what does the image of light make you think of? Everything's clear. Right. Clarity. I like it. Yes. Okay. I won't, I won't, I won't belabor the silence. So that I was meditating on this, and, and there are three things that I, I, I felt... I, I'm sure there are more. Just these are the three things that I felt um, uh, I, I was um, getting. So uh, first is light is an indication of presence, right? Like when you're on a dark highway and then you see some twinkling lights up ahead, that's when you know civilization's there, people are there. There's presence, there's, there's stuff going on there. Like it's not just barren wasteland as far as the people are there, in the absence of, in, in space, right? Like, there's nothingness except for that star millions of light years away. That's where something is. That's the presence of, of something that's giving off the light, right? So light is um, an indication of presence. And when we talk about God, God is light. He is presence. He is um, the infinite, absolute, unstoppable presence. Uh, he, he liter- his name is literally I am, 
permanence, absolute permanence, absolute presence, being, right? I am, I am with you, I am here, I am forever. Yesterday I was, today I am, tomorrow I will be. He is that. God is, is, is present. Um, he is omnipresent. Um, I also thought of permeating, like light permeating, right? Like if you, hands up, you've ever had this experience. You, you've gone to the beach, uh, you've laid down uh, in the sand and you've just felt the, the sun, like just the, the warmth, the, the light hitting your body and you can feel that, like it's like the light is, is, is like touching you. Um, that, that is light. It's this permeating, doesn't, it'll get everywhere. It'll touch everything. It'll, it'll, it casts itself on everything. And when it permeates, it's active. It, it, it's not just an inert force. Uh, when it hits plants, life Chlorophyll gets activated and you get uh, respiration of the, 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 the plant cells. And we're a long time since I did high school biology. But bottom line is plants are alive because of the sunlight. The light activates. Even us, light hits our skin. We get vitamin D as a result of it. That does all these things in our body. It's really important. It helps our eyes. It help, it, it's really important for our functioning. Light gives life. Without light, without the sunshine... We would all be dead. Light is life. Um, light is also an antiseptic force. If you're, if you're in, uh, you know, mushrooms, mate, fungi, they thrive. This decaying thing thrives in darkness. But if you cast anything out into the light, it's, it's going to have a hard time, especially in an arid desert. It's going to have a hard time to, uh, to, to fester and, and, you know, become diseased and, and all that kind of stuff. Light is antiseptic. It's a, it's a healing thing. Um, and it's powerful. Um, you know, the, the sun is like 400 million years away. Um, and yet, if you stand out on a sunny day for too long, you'll get burnt. Like, light is, is powerful. Like, the power of the emanating force of the light beams from the sun, the UV radiation, is powerful. Um, so yeah, it permeates, and when it permeates, uh, it, it's active. God is that. God is, is light. God, when he shines, he's active. He will heal you. He will bring life. He, will, uh, he, he is a powerful force, um, and, and he will engage and do his work uh, if you are in the light. And the, the last thing I thought of was what John said, which is uh, an illumi- light is illuminating. It, it literally lights things up. Um, it clarifies, right? Like, turn off all the lights. You're going to have a hard time navigating these chairs. Uh, but with the lights on, we're safe, uh, God willing. So the idea is that if you, um, you know, God is light, he illuminates. He, re- he is truth. He reveals the truth and he is truth. And so as we allow him in our lives and as he is, um, then he will identify uh, things in our, in our heart and in our lives uh, that need to be identified. So, um, and, and more importantly, so not just like, I want you to think of it as reality as well. Like it's, you know, this, this term truth, I feel like used to be back in the day, I think it was a pretty solid word. Nowadays, everyone says my truth, this and like whatever. Like, so think of it as reality. Uh, God reveals reality. Um, okay. So, and in him is no darkness. 
Like, okay, thanks, John. No, duh. Thank you. We get it. Like, he's light, absolute light. No, it, be- it bears mentioning that there's no darkness in him because we try to ascribe darkness to God sometimes. We try to ascribe to God that he is not present, that he is absent. We try to ascribe to God that he does not permeate. He's not active. He doesn't bring life. He doesn't heal. He doesn't uh, do what, what he, he wants to do. He's not active. And we, we try to ascribe that he's not real or he doesn't illuminate reality or like, oh, God, you know, the Bible, when it talks about this, that's not really reality. We're in the modern era now and blah, blah, blah. Like we, we try to twist and turn uh, the fact that God's presence and his light and who he is, is ultimate reality. And, and the re- so in him is no darkness. Anytime you think there's darkness in him, uh, know very well that that's a lie that you are projecting onto God. Um, God is light. In him there is no darkness. And what we're about to read is John challenging the church that we are to be, and we're going to read it, we are called to walk in the light, to be in the light. In other words, there is darkness in us and God does not. God wants to shine and he wants you to be in the presence of him so that he can shine and expel the darkness. Darkness cannot it cannot be in the presence of light. As soon as you grab a candle uh, and you walk into a dark room, guess what happens? The darkness is pushed back. That is what God wants to do in our hearts. Um, so let's have a look. Let's, let's read. So verse 6. Uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay. So just quickly, the word fellowship uh, is the, the Greek word koinonia. Uh, this word uh, of koinonia, it doesn't, so like, you know, for the longest time when I used to hear the word fellowship, I used to think Lord of the Rings, uh, fellowship of the ring, like, let's go, let's, let's, let's get Sauron. But, um, and I apologize if you're not as big of a nerd as me and that, that was cringeworthy. But, um, but, but the whole thing is fellowship is not this, it, well, it's an antiquated word to our, our ears now. What it literally means, koinonia, what it literally means uh, is to participate with, to, 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 to work with, to join into. So, in other words, if we say that we are participating with God, right, we're walking with him, if we're engaging with him, while we walk in the darkness, then we're lying and we don't practice truth. So the question becomes, well, what does walking in darkness look like? Uh, And I I just want to draw our attention back to like how we defined light and dark. Uh, Darkness looks like absence, right? It's the lack of presence. And I think that 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 can look like a bunch of uh, things for a lot of us. It can literally mean that you're isolating yourself, like literally, from God and from other good godly influences in your life. Um, I think it can also uh, mean that uh, there's a lack of meaning. There's a lack of pursuit in meaning. Uh, So in other words, you are doing your absolute best to live a life that has no meaning for your heavenly father. You know what he wants of you. You know that he wants you to, to, to desperately love him and connect with him. But you choose instead to not. Um, and to do maybe things that aren't wrong, but are meaningless. Um, that's, 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 that's darkness. That's the absence of light. Um, chaos 
is, I, I believe, chaos is, to me, when I was thinking about this, the opposite of the permeating force of light. Uh, chaos, instead of the light bringing power and life and uh, healing and restoration and antiseptic power and blah, 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 instead of that, it's, it's, it's waste, it's wildness, it's an inability to flourish, right? If you've ever seen uh, a chaotic scene, there's, it's stressful. Like, we as human beings, we don't like it. It, it, it brings discomfort to us to look at something that is chaotic. We are designed for order. We are designed to seek flourishing. So if you're living a life that is literally wild and chaotic and dysfunctional and engaging in all kinds... Alcohol is a good example, but any, any form of dysfunction, uh, and, and you can call it sin, but you can also call it like just bad habits. Um, whatever it is, if it's a chaotic force in your life, that's darkness. It's not allowing you to flourish. It's not of God. You're walking in darkness. And then uh, uh, other than illuminating, the, the light reveals and illuminates, reveals reality as it is, uh, the darkness conceals. Um, we sometimes choose to ignore the truth. I know for a fact, a bunch of us sitting here today, ignore the truth. You have been told you shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be seeing this person, should be hanging out here, you shouldn't be doing that, whatever. Like godly wisdom and advice, reality, and yet you are ignoring it. You're, you're hiding, you're concealing. But sometimes we don't do it intentionally. Sometimes we, and in fact, most of the time, we do it subconsciously. We do it unintentionally. We are so desperate to not be on the outs with others and even with, even with God that we will choose to have a, 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 a visor, uh, like literally the blackest, tintest sunglasses you could imagine that will not let any light in in certain aspects of our life. That's not a problem. I got it under control. It's all good. That was just one time. No, it's not going to lead to anything. I can do this sometimes. It's fine. We lie to ourselves. And we're not doing it because we're bad. We're doing it because we so desperately don't want to see the truth. But guess what? You're walking in darkness. That's not of the light. So absence, chaos, concealment. These are how we walk in darkness. God says... John here through, God says through John here, um, hey, if you say that you're in fellowship with God, if you say that you're partnering with him, walking with him, engaging with him, but you're walking in darkness on any level, on any level, no matter how small you may think it is, you're a liar. You don't practice the truth. It's intense. He's not pulling any punches. It's, in, it's intense. And um, here's the reality. It's a sad state. It really is. Because this is not what you were made for. Like, God wants better things for you. God wants you to experience the light. So, what's the answer? Verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay. If... We walk. It's a decision. If you walk. It, it's, it's literally presented in front of you. If you choose to walk in the light. 
And again, the word walk here is, is literally alluding to this whole fellowship idea. If you partake with God, if you engage with him, if you allow him into your heart, into your life, if you walk in the light, then, well, then, so you'd imagine that John would say, if we walk in the light, then you'll be close to God and, and things will be... No, he doesn't say that. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It's a bit of a kind of twist. Uh, we have fellowship with one another. Guess what? The people around you, they're not... They're not the people around you are placed in your life, even if it's just for today. They are placed in your life by God to engage with you. God's, God's main method of engaging with the world is through other people. Literally, like Jesus told his disciples, uh, go, you know, make disciples of all the nations and, and teach them to obey my commands, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like God could just lightning zap and, uh, okay, you, 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 you. All right, off you go. Come on and like, let's, let's do this and come to heaven. Or No, but he, he says, you guys, those who follow me, you're my hands and my feet. You're the ones that I choose to engage with and who I want to allow to then partner with me to engage with other people. Bob Smith, uh, it, he went to church. He heard sermons. He, he literally, he, he grew up in church for 40 years of his life. He was a drunk and his life was increasingly unmanageable. He could not have a relationship with his wife. He couldn't parent his children. He couldn't practice his job, which he loved, ironically. And when God did save him and, and finally he became the, one of the leading founding members of Alcoholics Anonymous, he literally brought alcoholics into his house and he uh, was responsible for over 5,000 people, personally responsible for over 5,000 people of becoming free from alcoholism. God, God, God chooses to work through the Bob Smiths and the Bill Wilsons. God chooses to work through every single one of you. And it's not because you're special and it's not because you're qualified and it's not because you have anything to offer. It's because God wants to help you. God wants to reveal his power to you by showing you just how powerful he can be in your life and then spill out into other people's lives. And, but that's not why you do it. You're not doing it because like God showed me your power and like you, you do it because you desperately realize you need the light. You desperately realize that the darkness is killing you. You desperately realize that the only way is God. The only way. These men were broken. They had nothing. They, they literally cried out to God and it was only in, at the point of their crying out that they started to see the light. They started to walk in the light. And then God continued the work from there. So we have fellowship with one another. And so the idea is that when you are walking in the light, when you choose to finally say, enough of this darkness, I step into the light. I, step, I choose to step into the reality of who God is, the reality of who God says I am and the reality of what I've been doing and I don't want the darkness anymore. I want the light. When you step into that place, you automatically start to find other people who've stepped into that place as well. 
It's, just, it's a law of nature. Trust me. It's a law of nature. God will provide those people. I, I honestly believe with all my heart, tonight is one of those nights. So you choose to step. God provides the fellowship. And it happens because uh, like will attract like. And, 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 you know, Jesus is our glue. He's the center. He's our focus. And it also happens because the light, that's, that's what light does. Light propagates itself, right? Light continues. Do you know the human eye? I can't remember exactly what it is. But if you shine a candle, and I think if you're like literally in pitch blackness, and you shine literally just the light of a candle, and you go something like 50 kilometers away or whatever, your eye will still be able to see that light. Yeah, light, light is is attractive and, and 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 draws you in. And light again, because of its very nature, you don't need much light to start to dispel the darkness. So when you start to walk in fellowship with other people, you get presence because you're with other people. You get permeance because you start to enable each other's lives to to hone into God's power and His His ability to do things in your life. And you illuminate uh, one another, right? Like. I might be lying to myself and I might not know how I'm lying to myself, but my, my fellow Christian who sees me and who knows me and I'm in the light and he's in the light. And so he starts saying, whoa, dude, what the hell is this? Like, this is really messed up. And like, you shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be doing it. Like, what's going on for you? Like, how, where's this coming from? How can I help you? Like, what do you think you need to like step out of this place to, to not be in this dark place anymore? That's what light does. Light begets more light. It propagates more light. The candle off in a distance, it's going to attract you and it's going to draw you. And your, your eye searches for it and it needs it and it craves it and, and, and it will find it because you're wired to find the light. So fellowship is the automatic product of stepping into the light. Does that make sense? I feel like I kind of rambled then a little bit. But do, do you get what I'm saying? It's, it's, you find God and God. the given in this verse is that you have fellowship with God, like that's a given, right? When you step in the light, you have fellowship with God. But what's not a given and what's really important to realize is that you have fellowship with other people who also walk in the light. And that, that's vitally important. You, you cannot do it without other people. In fact, uh, James says this in uh, James chapter 5. Um, let me pull it up. Uh, um, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Uh, the, the principle here is that you're not just engaging directly with God, although you, of course, are, and you, that's your highest priority and goal in life is to commune with God. But in that process, God expects you to engage with other, other Christians and, and expects you to be challenged by other Christians and expects you to challenge other Christians and expects the Christians in your, like God-fearing people who are walking in the light, he expects them to, to really prod you and poke you in love, to, to, to bring out the best in you and to keep shining the light directly on you. And he expects you to keep doing the same thing to, to your fellow brother or sister. Yeah. So the idea here is that you can, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into it in a second. We'll, we'll highlight that even more. But, but yeah, so does that make sense? Yeah. All right, cool. I cannot belabor that point enough. Like if literally, if you take one point home for that, like that's it. You, you must you must recognize that you must be in fellowship with other believers. This is how God uh, chooses to work. This is how God wants to work. This is how God wants to use you as well, yeah? Okay, so, um, uh, oh, and then the last part of uh, verse seven is that um, 
uh, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So it's not the fellowship that fixes you, right? It's not the fellowship that fixes you. The only thing that fixes you, that makes you right before God, is the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that will fix you. What Jesus did on the cross, his sacrifice for you, that's the only thing that has the power to bring you in union with God. But, um, but the fellowship is the thing that perpetuates the activity of God, right? And that God chooses to work in the midst of, yeah? But also what's really, I think, vitally important to see in this verse is that cleanses us from all sin, all sin. God's not just happy to deal with just one part of your life. He's not. He really isn't. Uh, if you're willing to, God, uh, give up my whole like, dependence on, on men. I don't want to have to like, live my whole life looking for my life partner. And you're willing to give that up to God. But then deep down inside, you still want people's approval and you want to be loved and desired for things that are not of God. And you're, you're hanging your self-worth based off of other people. God's not going to finish just with saying, all right, cool. Yeah, uh, I'll make you not really need a man anymore. He's going to keep going at you until your only desire and your only aspect of self-worth is God's vision of you. Guys, he's not going... I don't know, this can apply to girls too, but like, I'm just saying, guys. Uh, he's not... That, God, I don't want to lust anymore and I don't want to like, you know, objectify women and blah, 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 blah. And like, I want to be holy and pure and blah, blah, blah. He's not going to... Uh, he's not going to say, great, awesome, yeah, all right, fine. Uh, I'll do my best and uh, I'm glad you said that. That's fantastic. He is going to work on all the brokenness in you that leads to your ability to think that you have the nerve to objectify another human being, the pride that's in you, the, the deceit, the, the self-deception and the deception towards others. He's going to break it apart so that he can get to every aspect of your heart so that you don't, you, you, you do do what you initially asked for, but he, he has your whole heart. God is, is intentional and, and, and desperate to wash you from all your sins, yeah? And it's not something that just happened when he died on the cross, even though it is. It's not something that just happened when you said, Jesus, I'm, I'm a sinner and I need your help. It's something that happens every day of your life. And that's why we say it's walking in the light, yeah? And by the way, it's when you walk in the light that Jesus' blood covers you, yeah? Because it's when you walk in the light that you say, I need to be covered, I need it. I recognize it. I recognize the darkness in me and I need to be covered. All right, let's move on to verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So Paul, uh, sorry, John is hammering home the point here that um, I don't know what's going on in you guys' head at the moment, but if anyone is sitting here right now and thinking, I'm good, I'm fine. You know what? My life is pretty, pretty fantastic right now. And, and uh, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. Yeah, I'm pretty much doing this. Uh, well, I hope so. I hope that's true. But um, I would challenge you and say that it probably isn't. Probably isn't. Uh, and I don't care, honestly, how long you've been a Christian for, what levels of, 
of leadership you've had in the church, whether you've led Sunday school or not, whether you come from a Christian family, uh, whether you had a groundbreaking, earth-shattering experience of God or not, um, or how much you know the Bible or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're a sinner. You, 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 while you're in this, in this body, you will always be a sinner. What we're talking about now is not a momentary thing. It's not a phase. It is a forever of your life thing. Um, and if you deny that, if we, if we say we have no sin, well, you're deceiving yourself again. Uh, the truth isn't in you again. Um, and again, half the time when we say things like that, usually it's not, not like, not con- like we're doing it on an unconscious, subconscious level um, because of our other junk. But God wants you to... Bring that into the light as well and say, hey, this other junk that says that I'm all good and I don't need you um, or I don't need this, uh, you know, shine a light, God. All right, verse 9. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So again, confess is another like Christian word that like, you know, uh, you know, it's very loaded with whatever the heck you've seen in pop culture and in your experience of church and whatever else. Confess literally means uh, to agree. Like a confession is like, I, I agree with like this, you know? So to, to confess to God means that I agree with like God's definition and not my definition, right? So in other words, uh, watching porn, uh, I confess that's a sin. In other words, I agree, that's not good for me uh, and I don't care how pervasive or whatever it is. It's not good for me. I'm not going to do it, yeah? Or uh, dating around, sleeping around, like whatever. Or, um, I don't know, uh, uh, getting drunk on a, on a Friday. Whatever, whatever. I don't want to be like too controversial here. But, but bottom line is it's choosing to say, I agree, God. Like, this isn't, this isn't my, um, this isn't good for me. And, and what you say is, is higher than what I think. Um, do you notice, though, he says, if we confess our sins... And then he just says, he is faithful. He doesn't say who to. Right? We kind of assume it's just to God. Like if we confess our sin to God, uh, then he's faithful and he'll. But he doesn't say that. He just says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. Um, I want to tell you that I think that's deliberate. Um, and I actually think it's not just to God. Definitely to God. Definitely to God. Um, but it's not just to God. I think this, again, bring, hammers back in the home of uh, the, the, the verse that we just read before, James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Um, I think that God is intentional about a confession and agreement, not just with God, but to ourselves, an inward confession. Like, God, like, I really seriously, sincerely believe that's not right, and I agree um, on that deep level inside my heart, but also to other people. That should terrify you. That should absolutely. Now, it's one thing to like be in a Catholic church or an Orthodox church or whatever, and the, the priest is the person you confess to and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't, like, personally, that's not my conviction. I'm happy to, like, you know, debate that or whatever. But, um, but I believe it is the role of every believer to uh, share and partic- participate in confession with one another. And again, it's about fellowship. We, we just read it in the verse or two before. And again, like James chapter 5 is pretty, pretty like overt about it. Confess your sins to one another. Um, because again, when you do that, guess what happens when you do that? You become vulnerable. You don't wear a mask anymore. 
like David who goes to church and who speaks at the front or whatever else, that mask isn't there anymore. Like you can see me for who I actually am. And then one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to reject me and that's going to hurt or by the grace of God and by the activity of the Holy Spirit and by the glue of Jesus who binds us all in the light together, you will say, you know what, man, I'm here for you. And you know what? Let's work on that together. You know what? Here's me as well. Let me take my mask off too. Let me show you what's going on underneath my skin. And then by the grace of God and by the activity of the Holy Spirit, my response is because I love Jesus and I'm walking in the light. Man, I empathize with you and I love you and I validate your experience with this hardship and with what you're struggling with. And like, how can I help? What can I pray for you for? What, what do you need? How can I challenge you? Do you need to be accountable? Like whatever. So confess to one another because we aren't supposed to be a community of people that just rock up, hear a message for half an hour, in this case, probably 45, to an, 45 minutes to an hour, and then peace out. And then sayonara and like, I feel crap about the rest of my week. And then I feel extra crap around certain people because like, I can't, you know, you've got this image of yourself and this image of others. God's not interested in that. God wants you to be real. God wants you to connect with each other. And he wants you to do that because God is love. And his community of followers are supposed to be love as well. Um, And it's the only way to be in the light. And it's the only way for the light to do its activity in your heart and in your life. Um, So confess uh, to to, to one another, to yourself and to God. Um, uh, And guess what? He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. You know why he's faithful? Because he already died on the cross. Because it's already been done. So it would be unfaithful of God to say, no, you know what? No, that, that sin, too much. Uh, I, cho- I choose to not have died for that sin. No, he died for all sin. Like he says it. He died for all sin, for all time. It's done. So he's faithful. If you confess to him, to yourself, to other people, um, what happens is he's like, yeah, it's done. It's taken care of. Let's, let's, work on, let's work on freedom. Let's work on your life. Let's work on you living in the light and, and, and living out the, your purposes in the light. Um, and yeah, he forgives us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And again, like hammering home that point, it's all unrighteousness. He's not, he's not happy to just settle for one or two things in your life. He wants all of you. He wants to clean all of you. He wants to sort out all of you. He wants to bring into the light all of you. He does not want any darkness in you at all. He wants you to be an image of his son who is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Um, and I'm just going to stream through. Um, uh, 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 okay. Okay, so verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the third time that John makes this kind of statement of like, if you are like rejecting what's going on right now and the conviction of that you're a sinner, you need to step in the light, you're walking in darkness. Uh, Jesus and his activity on the cross, it needs to permeate, permeate your life. You need to walk in the light. Like if you keep denying this, um, uh, it, it, for the third time he says, you're a liar um, and your, his word isn't in, in you. Um, so, uh, and, and what I want to kind of like, uh, like this is the last verse that we're going to focus on today. I guess what I want to kind of highlight there is that 
God is not going to work in you if you're not willing to let him work in you. Like the door that you open in your heart uh, is the only door that will allow Jesus in. If you keep that door closed, uh, he will not enter. Revelations 3, God uh, is knocking on the door of your heart, uh, waiting for you to let him in so he can come in and eat with you, right? The word, like dine with you. That's like literally the, 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 the image. Again, it's fellowship. It's to participate with. It's to join with. When you're having a meal with someone, you're getting to know them. You're engaging. You're choosing to like, you know, be there with them and, and in, their, uh, in their kind of space and in their world. So God wants to have fellowship with you. But guess what? Uh, you get to open the door or not. You get to, to step in the light or not. Um, and you get to choose to participate with what God wants to do or not. He's not going to force that. But he, what he will do is he will be relentlessly pursuing you because that's the God of love that we serve. So that's all I got for you. Um, can we bow our heads? And I just want to utilize this time now to like truly respond. Like I'm very conscious that my words do nothing. Like I'm, I'm just very conscious of that. I've heard messages like this before. They've had maybe some impact, but like largely not. Uh, the thing that had an impact in my life is when I actually was confronted uh, with the choice, like desperately confronted with the choice. And then I, out of my pure desperation, cried out to God, not unlike Bob Smith and and Bill Wilson. Um, And in that place, in that place of absolute desperation, God met me. Uh, And I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see a bright light. God met me because he provided for me people in my life that I could engage with, that I had fellowship with, um, and people that I, I became radically honest with, and people in my life that loved me despite all the crap in me. And so I want to provide you the same opportunity um, that people like Bob Smith and Bill Wilson and me and countless millions upon millions of people have faced throughout history um, meet with God. He stands at the door of your heart right now and he says let me in are you desperate enough to let him in please be desperate enough to let him in the reality is the darkness is killing you it's destroying you there is no life there there's only absence chaos and concealment it is destroying you doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter how good you seem, if there is any shred of darkness in your life on any level, it's destroying you. Be desperate enough to cry out to God. He is the only cure. And right now, ask him, what darkness is there? What, what am I hiding from myself? What darkness is it that I am running away from that you want to reveal in me? And now, now here's here's the hard part. Step into the light. And I'm going to challenge every single person in this room. 
what stepping in the light looks like, I think as, as, a, as a practical first step, is tell someone. Tell someone what your darkness is. Tell someone, be radically honest with someone and be intentional about continuing to be radically honest. Obviously, do it with someone that you respect, that you love, that knows that you're, you know, has your best interests uh, at heart, that will not betray your trust, that will be there for you, like someone that's actually worthy of your trust and worthy of that kind of disclosure. But like, tell someone. Because the light will shine when you choose to step into it and when you find other people of the light and when those people of the light start to engage with you as you engage with them as well. So maybe right now, if God's highlighted what darkness he wants to deal with you in, in in your heart, maybe right now ask him to highlight someone to talk to or to engage with. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and your relentless pursuit of us in our hearts, Lord. You are not simply uh, the God who just died on the cross and says, good luck. Uh, You're the God who continues to pursue us relentlessly because you want us to live a life full of your beauty and your freedom. Lord, you came to give us life and life to the full. So, Lord, we trust you that you actually know what that means even though we don't know what that means and we probably have a whole bunch of misconceptions about what we think you mean by that. But Lord, we trust that you know what that means to have a life to the full. And even though we may be afraid of that or think we don't want that, Lord, we're desperate enough to say, come, Lord Jesus, shine a light in the deepest, darkest places of my heart and let me experience your light Let me walk in the light. Let me walk in fellowship with other people who are in the light. Would we be a community of light, Lord, so that we would propagate that light, not just in this place, but all around the world, to all those that you want to encounter. And Lord, not because we want to be special, but because you are special and because we get to, to see you at work and we get to experience transformation, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.